Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. (laughs) Good to talk to you. (laughs) Today's episode, we're actually interviewing Armando Lopez. We shared a little clip of Armando maybe two months ago where we did a whole episode about hiring. And we've actually hired somebody since then (laughs) and did it completely differently. (laughs) Not completely differently. We evolved our process, Uh and it was fantastic. It's one of the hardest things to get right in a company. It really is, and it's so important. And it's one of those things that you're taking a risk on them, and they're taking a risk on you. Yeah. But I think there are things you can do that Armando specifically talks about, (laughs) about how to actually do it well in a way that you not just mitigate risk, but set up your entire team for success. Yeah, and I wanted to do a deeper dive with Armando. And so he actually has six principles, six things that they do in the hiring process that you can borrow from if you want. You can leave some of them out. I think all of them are strong. All of them should be done. I really do agree with all of them, except the part, you know, he's with Ramsey Solutions that we should say. So we should remind people, I think they make you share your personal budget with him. (laughs) We don't do that. (laughs) We do make you share your diet. So you have to write down everything you've eaten in the previous month. Well, we have communal bank accounts, so you eventually just know Right, at StoryBrand. A lot of people don't know that. We have one big communal bank account, and everybody lives on the premises, and we grow our own food. We live together. That's right. We raise each other's children. They don't call it a cult. We more call it friendship. You know, I was deeply offended (laughs) when they called it a cult, and you're just like, like, hey, a lot of people, you know, make big vats a lot of, of punch. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, we don't do any of those things. <laughs> You're actually in New Jersey today, but uh, <laughs> uh, you just missed our staff lunch. I know. I was so sad. I saw pictures about it. It's getting more and more familial as the uh, as the years go on. I'm worried yeah. if anybody ever leaves, it's going to be a grieving oh, process. Huge. Huge. I don't think we will even let them leave. We will just, you know, it's one of those things like if you leave, we're going with you. Yeah, so they exactly. would go get a job and then we would all just show up at that place. Yeah, where are we going next, guys? What's next? <laughs> I don't have good cereal here. I liked it back at Story Brand. Anyway, you know, people should listen more to Armando than to us, I think. Yes, when it comes I agree. To, when it agreed. comes to building 100% a company. 100% agreed. <laughs> I didn't tell you this. When I met Armando, I've got a 1978 FJ40 yep. Land Cruiser. And it's a beast of a machine. I love it. And I got invited by some guys with Ramsey Solutions to basically drive about four or five miles inside of creek beds through the hills outside of Nashville. Like an hour and a half out of here, we drove in creek beds, and we all had these four-by-fours. Armando has completely rebuilt this Jeep Wrangler. Really? Yeah. It's like an 82, (laughs) early 80s Jeep Wrangler. It is so unbelievably beautiful. And then he goes... His wife was with us, uh-huh. and she was in the passenger seat, and she's wearing a Fitbit. And he went into this creek where there was a rope swing. Uh-huh. So if there's a rope swing over a creek bed, that's the deepest part of the creek. And Armando just takes it yeah. in his Jeep. And his wife's Fitbit <laughs> later reported that she was at heart attack level. And uh, that's how I met Armando. And then there was like a spring. He couldn't change gears. And so he took a spring from his carburetor and crawled up into his transmission and that spring into his transmission and drove out. He's MacGyver. Oh, amazing. So the whole time I'm interviewing, I'm thinking, you just MacGyver everything. Yeah. You just literally like, that's how you're MacGyvering Ramsey Solutions right now (laughs) is what you're doing. Anyway, this is a very practical episode. You know, we love to entertain and all that kind of stuff, but this is literally just grab a napkin, do these six things. You're going to hire a lot better. We got to do another episode on firing. We haven't done one of those yet. Yeah. We don't fire a whole lot of people. Yeah, we try not to because we try to take people's advice on how to hire. And then when we fire, we're really just passive aggressive. We just <laughs> no, you just keep the true. door to their office not locked. True. Not we don't look true. them in the eye. 
Anyway, it's a great conversation. You're going to learn a lot. I don't want to wait anymore. Here's my conversation going through the six phases of hiring somebody. Armando is executive director of human resources over at Dave Ramsey. He hired 24 people. I might butcher this. 24 people in 28 days. Yeah, unreal. And he took them all through this process. They have about 600 employees over there now, and they're growing fast. It's 600 now. By the time this airs, it might be 700. Anyway, if you really want some tips on how to hire, here's my conversation with Armando Lopez. Armando, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Donald. I have a feeling you're going to be very helpful for a lot of listeners today. I hope so. You guys over at Ramsey, you guys are pushing 700 now, right? 681 today. That's amazing. And uh, we just finished the record month in February. For hiring? Uh, for hiring. 24 hires in the month of February. That's almost a person every day. There were only four days you didn't bring a human being on. That's exactly right. We were a little disappointed we did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is that mind-numbing for you? Because even... You know, we're a small company. We have about 20 people who essentially either work for us or live off us. And every one of them feels like a six-month project. I mean, it feels like a very intensive project. So I can't imagine almost every day bringing a new person on. It's hard. And I'll tell you what makes it hard. If you don't care about who you bring on, you can bring on 24 people in a heartbeat. Right. So it's no longer a record. The interview process we follow and how diligent we are about bringing on the right fit both for them and for us, right? So great people want to work in a place that matches them, and they're interviewing us as well as we're interviewing them. Right. So to do it the right way takes time. How important is the right person? We all know getting the right people on the bus is incredibly difficult. But, you know, since I've run StoryBrand, I know there is a radical difference. And it's not always people who aren't qualified or aren't good people. They're just not a fit. They don't see the world the way we see the world. They pursue sales and that we don't actually want to sell to those people because it's going to be a high maintenance thing, those kinds of things. How do you guys attract the right people? I imagine that's one of the big problems, one of the big challenges is just attracting the right people. It is. And one of the most commonly asked questions I get is how do you generate applicant flow and then the right applicant flow? And there is no silver bullet for that. Imagine if you were going to buy a car and you want to buy the perfect car for you, the more selection, the better right. chances that you right. end up with the so right car. So you want car. a lot of people streaming through your application process. We do. We had over 16,000 applicants last year. That's amazing. And that gives us choice, right? But mm -hmm. it also gives the candidates choice. It gives us as employers choice. The wrong hire can devastate your business. People say the wrong hire costs you three times their annual salary, right? Mm -hmm. If it's the wrong person. Yeah. But the good versus the great, right? So if we go back to good to great Jim Collins, mm -hmm. they just don't bring enough. They don't encourage the rest of the team. They don't uplift the rest of the team. So those are nominal improvements or nominal losses that you don't feel right away. Yeah. But the right person coming in, once you see them, you go, okay, that's the difference. A generalization, because you're hiring everybody from C-suite all the way to customer service reps. I mean, you're hiring all over the place yep. and in different segmented parts of the company too. Give us a generality of this is the kind of person you're looking for in general. And then we'll get into more specifics in a minute. So we've adopted Patrick Lencioni's uh, mm -hmm. terms, but we were interviewing for this long before he wrote the book. So humble, hungry, and smart right. are three of the character qualities we look for. And humble, we used to call servant leadership, willing to put others before self, et cetera. Hungry is driving energy. These are action-minded people. They get things done. Mm -hmm. And smart is not IQ, where most people think it is. Smart for us was relational. 
These are people And it that is are, for Lencioni too. It is for Lencioni, absolutely. Yeah. And so it's that self-awareness. It is the person that can build relationships. They understand when they walk into a room how to adapt to that room. And when they leave a room, they understand how they left that room. Was it better because they left or worse off because they left? I'm not going to ask you to name names. Okay. But give me somebody who just right away you went, that's our person. And give me somebody who fairly quickly you went, this person will never work here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and why? And, and you don't want a name? <laughs> I don't want a name. I don't want to be sued. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings either. So well, we, you can give me the positive name, but don't okay. give me the negative. So we hired a developer, and I won't give you his name, but we knew from the moment that he stepped in, he was humble. He could care less what the title we hired him for was. He just how, wanted how did to he, contribute. He, uh, so that was part of it. He didn't say, he said, that's not actually important to me. In fact, we talked about the title, right. whether it was going to be a senior level or a regular developer, and he didn't care about the title. He wasn't hung up on titles. Mm -hmm. He wanted to know what the work was that we expected him to do and how he could contribute to that work. And whether he would enjoy it. And, and whether he would enjoy it and whether he felt capable of doing it. Right. Who he would interact with. So he was already thinking about, in a way, the objectives of the organization, but also his personal sense of fulfillment. There's a lack of desperation there. Oh, absolutely. He's not coming in going, I can do anything you want, just pay me. Correct. He was saying, no, there are things I can't do. Yeah. And if I do something here, you're going to pay me and I'm going to be worth it, but I want to enjoy my work. Yeah. That individual's had two promotions since he's been with us, and it's <laughs> been a year. Wow. So, so yeah. those, those folks move up quickly. Yeah, they do. Okay. hate to ask, but... Somebody, you just went, ah, this person's never going to work here. And we said no to them? Yes. Okay, so I should probably tell you that before they get to me, <laughs> yeah. they've been through enough screens. So there are a lot of people. We have a 95% turnover at the candidate level because okay. they never make it to me. <laughs> right, right, right. And so a lot of candidates just never make it to me. But we have had a few that do Do you make talk it. to all of them? Did you talk to all 24 who came in in February? Yes. Either wow. myself or Rick Perry. We have two okay. people that do what I do. Yeah. And Rick Perry or I spoke to all 24. Gotcha. Okay. People that make it to that level are usually already screened, but there are a few that once they get to that point, they get more comfortable. They start showing their colors. Right. They've been through so many interviews. Sometimes they forget what they've said and what they haven't said. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden you start You can find getting, out whether they're consistent and absolutely. whether they're putting on an act and those kinds of things. And you get into some more specifics. What are their real desires? What do they really want to do? And people that say they're team players early on and talk about the team, once they get to that point, they become very selfish and they talk only about what's in it for them. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And that what's in it for them mentality, that <laughs> entitlement, if you will, is the quickest way to be told no. Hmm. And I can think of several that made it through that far. And some of them were probably fairly shocked because they had produced a lot for other companies. They knew they were valuable, uh, they but had the they pedigree, didn't fit the... Pedigree, experience, they thought they were in. Didn't fit the culture of the company. But didn't fit our culture. Well, something over there is working. Because yeah. we're hiring 24 people <laughs> in one month. you got to pay them, which means something over there yeah. is growing. All right, I want to go through six stages of bringing somebody on that you guys have outlined. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I got some of this from Dave's Entree Leadership book. We were doing most of it. I think a lot of people are. They may about to be doing it right. But we added things like the spousal interview and stuff that I just never would have thought of. Yep. It never, I would, never would have occurred to me. But let's start with just referrals. Your most successful hires will come from referrals, you say. It's the best way to find someone who fits your culture, improves your team, and is pumped up about joining your crusade. So even before, oh, all these job search sites and all that kind of stuff, you're hoping for referrals first. Yep. So there's a unique thing that happens with referrals, and that is that they know the organization, warts mm -hmm. and all. 
because you would never talk to your friend to come work someplace without telling them the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right. And so referrals have a more realistic view of what it's like to be a team member for us. There's a lot less on-ramping there. They get more of it than We try to be as transparent street. as we can in the interview process, but the reality is that referrals already have that because their person's already told them. Right. And so they already have that level of transparency and candor about who we are and what we do. And Donald, for context, referrals represent 8% of our applications that come into the company. So you're still doing 92% that are not referrals. 8% of our applications. Oh, gotcha. They represent 24% of our hires. Ah, so that's See why the pay difference? so much attention to them. Yeah. Yeah. So if you get a referral as a recruiter, a lot more of the it right goes people. to the top of the stack. That's going to be a call. How are you getting those referrals internally? Are you posting in, on bulletin boards everywhere, hey, here are the jobs we're looking for, do you know anybody? How do you do that for a large organization? We post all our jobs so every team member knows where to go look for it, and it's DaveRamsey.com forward slash careers. Gotcha. We also do bounties for our, for our team members, right? <laughs> that is so fun. Hey, we want great people to come work for us. <laughs> That's right. They want to make extra money. You bring us a great money. person, you're going to get a couple hundred bucks or whatever. You get 500 bucks. Wow. If that team member gets I'm hired. I'm going to go work at Ramsey and you, just, just like, get people hired. You'll be my referral, absolutely. <laughs> there you go. You'll get 500 bucks. <laughs> I'll get 500 bucks. <laughs> All right, sounds good. This uh, sounds like a pyramid scheme here. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a pyramid. It's a, <laughs> it works. Send us a great referral. That sounds good. I imagine they make money other ways too besides just that. Oh, yeah. uh, So you're posting on job boards and there. Are you sending out emails everyone's supposed to say, hey, we're looking for this? Or the job boards, imagine with this many, you can't do that. You just let there's everybody no, know. Yep, there's no silver bullet. We try to do it all. Niche sites, job boards, our own career site. Every now and again, we'll do special campaigns. So to our own tribe. Mm-hmm. So we'll reach out to, say, FPU graduates and let them know that we're looking for great people. See gotcha. if they know somebody. Yeah, okay. So we try to use every single avenue available to us to try yeah. to generate that flow. The second phase is the 30-minute drive-by interview. Start the hiring process with a quick get-to-know-you initial meeting. Your objective here is to mainly listen and ask a few questions. It's a great way to weed out the crazies and sniff out the winners. All right, that's yep. a little controversial. Let's talk about crazies and winners. So we call that the 80-20 rule. Okay. 80% of what we're looking for is fit. And that is, do they fit the company? Do they fit who we are and what we do? Yeah. Right, so we talk about our mission statement. And there's some people that once you say that, they're like, okay, that's not for me. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. great, thank you, right? Because right. that saves us a lot of time. As you, you start- You bring up the mission statement in the 30-minute drive-by. Absolutely. Can you tell me what that is? Sure. So we exist to provide biblically-based, common sense, education and empowerment that give hope to everyone in every walk of life. That yeah. is our mission yeah. statement. Yeah. And so we want to make sure that people... You're going to screen out with words like biblically-based and common sense. And we and- come back and we talk about that, right? So. We are founded on Christian principles. Yeah. We're biblically based. Are you okay with that? I'm just curious here. Do you ever get people who are, I don't go to church, I'm not a Bible person, but I think the Bible has, I subscribe personally to a lot of Jewish principles and I'm not a Jew, right? Right. I'm all for that. More Fantastic. people need to do that. Do you have those folks who say, look, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a church guy, but I'm 100% for this mission. I think it just makes sense. It helps people be sane and healthy. Do you hire them? Is Absolutely. That a, yeah. I was yeah. about to say, with that many people, I'm sure you have. Yeah. You have to be able to support the mission statement, right? Mm-hmm. So are you okay providing someone else some biblical-based, common-sense advice from the Bible? If you're okay doing that, then we're okay with you. Okay, great. And then how do you weed out the crazies? Ooh, sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's a little harder. It takes a few uh, more interviews? Yes. Usually in those first 30 minutes, that 80-20, 80% being fit, mm-hmm. 20% is skill. Hmm. So we're trying to figure out, do they have minimum requirement skill for what we're talking about? So that's that 30 minutes. It's split 80-20 that way. 
somewhere in that conversation, people say some really odd things. <laughs> For instance, you've <laughs> got to give us an example, Armando. Ah, uh, okay. So <laughs> this is the color commentary of the uh, interview. Okay, I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out which one won't won't I- implicate <laughs> implicate someone because it so we have a guy who wanted to change his name to coder man c-o-d-e-r literally changed the name on his birth certificate Correct. or whatever that okay. was not his name but he was changing it because he is a darn good coder he's a programmer he's a developer okay. he's so good he wants to make sure everybody understands it by changing his name to coder man <laughs> That's crazy. That a lot. You know, it does say a lot, but there would be part of me that would go to sleep at night going, okay, that sounds crazy, but do you want to lose a guy who's actually yes. going to change his name? Yes, we I do. Mean, we do want to lose that guy. On a football guy. team, do you want to lose a guy who wants to call himself the sack man? I mean, like, I, maybe I want that guy, right? He's going to sack okay. the quarterback. <laughs> if, if he had said other things that lined up with that, maybe not. Ah, maybe but if he, he could sack the quarterback. But he maybe. did not. I think maybe that's a pass on that one, too, maybe. So 30-minute drive-by interview, and this is, you're not taking this super seriously. You're just literally going, is this guy person going to pass? Because I've been in interviews before where I've gone in and, and thought, do I or do I not want to hire this person? In the initial conversation, can you just counsel me here? Am I moving too quickly if I'm actually asking that question? If or am I just saying, what's my initial gut reaction to this person? If you're thinking it, you're not moving too quickly. If you're actually verbalizing it, you are acting Okay, gotcha. Quickly. Well, that's a great question. From the time that they apply... To the time that they are on staff, what is that average timeline, would you say? How long is that process? 61 days, roughly. That's uh, a long that's time. That's a true I mean, average, yeah. by the way. Yeah. But we're working to try to squeeze that down. Okay, because it's just taking a little too long for you guys. That is taking a little bit too long for our comfort. But I would imagine a lot of people could make that decision in two to three weeks. And you know, especially if somebody's looking for a job, you don't want to lose them and you get pressured to maybe move a little bit more quickly. But you're saying take your time. Take your time. People that are looking for a job that are willing to take anything because it comes along today are probably going to make a mistake as well. Mm-hmm. So they're making a mistake employers that take someone because the work needs to be done today and settle for something are making the same mistake. Well, as a business owner, I noticed the difference between year one of running business and year whatever it is of running a business, that has tripled. I mean, the time I'm willing to take to find the right person has tripled. And even if my staff says, look, we've looked at 20 people, you know, we just don't have a lot of other leads. I just say, well, we'll just do without that position. You know, I'm just not interested anymore. I want... I love what you said. What's a rock star team? Yeah, I call it the tallest pygmy. Okay, what does that mean? So it means that out of all of the people we have, none of them meet the position, but this one's the best of the the losers, right? Right, right. And so are we willing to compromise ourselves to that? No. I mean, if anybody's listening, no, 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 no. It is more than just a position on your team. Right. If you're a good leader, you're in relationship with this person. Yep. And almost all of my losing sleep nights running StoryBrand, which have been thankfully very few, have had something to do with, I just don't know if I can trust this person. And I want to be very clear, it's rarely about ethics. Right. It's usually about, I just don't think they see the world the same way I see the world. Even though, and some of them are incredibly competent. Yep. But it's all been relational. So There's keep, a dating aspect to this. Absolutely. And that comfort zone, that what some leaders call gut feel, mm-hmm. we try to teach our leaders, by the way, to express their gut feel in words. What is it specifically? Sometimes it's a subconscious thing, something they said, something they did, something. Right. I can't quite put my finger on it, but now that you're forcing me to think about it, you know, they were jittery. They were nervous. They asked for a cup of coffee when we were all ready to stand up. We were done. And now the person says, hey, can I get a cup of coffee? 
you know, you're laughing. <laughs> Those but are going to be long meetings if you if you hire that person. Yes, they but, don't have the social cues that the other people have in the room. That's exactly right. Okay, and, that's and really so, funny. And here's the other thing: you may be much much better at this because you're more practiced. But Tim is our producer. Tim has wanted to bring people on staff, and I've turned around and said, Tim. Are you kidding me? After a breakfast. And then more recently, it was the complete reversal. I was like, I want you to have lunch with this guy. I really want him with Steph. And Tim right. just called me and goes, are you kidding me? <laughs> so it's, there's things that your friends see that you don't see. Yes. Their biases and your biases are different, and it's important to talk to each other, I would imagine. They are, absolutely. And you know what's wonderful sometimes is when you have two people interviewing the person at the exact same moment, at mm. the exact same time, they both hear the exact same response. Hmm. Yeah. And the two people walk away, the two interviewers walk away with a different take on that response. Yeah. And it's important to calibrate to make sure that we're on the same page. Why did you interpret it that way? This is how I interpreted it. And as we come together, we get a clear picture for what are we really looking for in this position, in this role. Mm -hmm. That's what prevents that whole settling for someone that isn't cut out to be the right person. It's understanding the role and comparing everybody to that role. Right. What are we expecting them to do? If you compare everybody to the role and not to each other, not to other people, then you're going to end up with the right person for that role. You know what has helped me? Because if I had a slight flaw, and I actually see it as a strength with a downside, it's the desire to kind of rescue. By rescue, I mean see somebody's true potential that isn't fully developed and hire them knowing that they're going to pick it up and they're going to be great. That has worked for me sometimes, but mostly it hasn't. And one, I'd love for you to speak to that. What do you say to the boss? Because there are a lot of people who have a lot of influence, and they've gotten a long way by being a rescuer. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, leaders with power tend to want to share and make the world a better place, even more than they want to hurt the world. You know, I, I think that's what they want. What helped me, though, Armando, is I'm a huge Seattle Seahawks fan, becoming a Tennessee Titans oh. fan as they start winning. <laughs> And, you know, seeing the organization, seeing the Seahawks and how they hire and fire, and those things, I actually interviewed Pete Carroll, and Pete Carroll said, you know, I'll throw you two ropes. I'm not going to throw the third. You're just going to drown. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. And I, I learned if you want to get to the Super Bowl, you just can't keep rescuing people. You have to hire competence. Yep. And it was very helpful for me because I want to win. And I had to get over the people pleasing. Have you ever in your heart thought, I'm torn here? Yes. I want to, quote, unquote, kind of rescue this person but also, I'm not sure they're going to make it. Yes. And what'd you do? I love Dave saying, to be unclear is to be unkind. If I'm taking a chance on someone, they understand. And they understand that I see you potential. Say you say, listen, I don't think you have quite... You're not the perfect fit for this role, but I see potential in you. I think you, not me, but I think you could apply yourself. You're lacking these three things, and I think you could pick them up, and I think you could do it. But you're going to have to do that in a short order. Mm. And we're going to be talking about what needs to happen and when it needs to happen by. And if I don't see the initiative from you... That's a great way to do it. Then at some point we're done, Because you're right? not saying, hey, just don't ever hire them. You're saying right. there's times when you actually say, I'm going to take a chance on you, but you got to know I'm taking a chance on you. And I'll tell you when that really works well uh -huh. is when you have time to invest in them. Yeah. And every leader that gives me examples of when they took a chance on someone, when I asked them to go back and tell me some things they did, they invested time to get those people ramped up. They invested time in their onboarding. They invested time in their development. They were very candid about what needed to happen. And that person turned out to be great. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, yeah, you spent time with them. Yeah. If you needed them to hit the ground running because you were busy with other things, that's not going to work.
I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Armando Lopez in just a moment. But before that, JJ, we're heading to Seattle. Cannot wait. I'm so excited. <laughs> we have two things going on in Seattle. One is the live marketing workshop. If you own a business and you want to revolutionize your marketing, that is clarify your message and actually create a marketing roadmap, wireframe a website, come up with a lead generating PDF, write emails that get responses, you can sign up for our live marketing workshop in Seattle. You want to do that at storybrand.com. By the way, when you come, we'll actually create collateral that will get your money back. Find me a marketing workshop that does that. You'll actually make a profit on your time in Seattle if you do what we ask you to do. There's another component, though, JJ, to what we're doing in Seattle, and that is our certified guide yes. program. A lot of people don't know. We actually certify marketing agents. Yep. We certify people who are good at marketing, you know, designers, entire marketing agencies, to represent StoryBrand in the marketplace. That is... Anybody who loves the StoryBrand framework, they can actually just go through and become certified, and they actually get entered into our database at clarifyyourmessage.com. Clients can find them and create marketing collateral. Tell me, though, JJ, you know, I send business to guides all the time, uh -huh, and then uh -huh. I get word from you guys about how well these guides are doing. Can you tell us how well these guides are doing? Well, <laughs> you know how well they're doing because I often <laughs> threaten you that I am going to become a guide. I know. That's my <laughs> biggest problem right now is I'm trying to keep my staff from leaving me and going to our certified guide program. We just had somebody write in and say, hey, I just wanted to let you guys know I just took my entire family to Disneyland and paid cash based on the work that I've done by being a guide, by being a StoryBrand certified guide, the work that I've done from the Clarify Your Message directory. And we hear stuff like that all the time. Yeah, we got an email yesterday. It was an email I came through on Slack. I'm not sure. The guide program is $10,000. And this woman, who also just had a baby, she knows who I'm talking about. We love you very much. <laughs> While she was having a baby, she billed $170,000 in yes. actual guide work. <laughs> so if you're good, if that doesn't happen for everybody. It happens for more than 50% of the people who sign up, if not yep. even way more than that. I think that's a conservative number. They make a lot of money in return. But that's not the point. The no. point is deliver better collateral for your clients. Deliver yep. collateral that works. And the process is actually a blast. The first day feels more like everybody's participating in a game show than they are sitting in a class. <laughs> and you get to know other marketers. You're at a table around other web designers, other marketing agents, other copywriters. And if you've never had a community and you feel lonely, this is your community. It's so fun because you've seen it. I get a little embarrassed at the end. I get emotional when you we're do, sending yeah. out our guides. And more than once I've teared up as we get ready to send out the guides. I do because too. Because these people now have the tools to go serve their clients in a way that I just, it's so fun to watch businesses explode when these guides put into practice what they learned at the two days. And I get really emotional. We do a little toast kind of thing at the end. And basically, Basically, our StoryBrand family has just expanded by a big group of people who are going out, giving the microphone to the good people of the world, and helping businesses grow. It's so fun. Yeah, and the, you know, the real reason that we even created the guide program is people were coming to us and saying, hey, can you just create my website? And we made a decision, a strategic decision, to stay in our lane. We're going to do these yeah. workshops, help people clarify their message. We would have had to have hired 500 people. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like, we can't hire 500 people. They won't fit in my basement. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do. And we created this guide program. And man, has it been successful. Yeah. If you are a marketing agent of some sort, that is a web designer, a copywriter, somebody who creates marketing collateral for people, and you're really good, by the way. You have to go through an interview process. We talk to you. You apply. Uh, not everybody gets in. But if you're really good and you want to take it to the next level, Go to storybrand.com slash guide. That's storybrand.com slash G-U-I-D-E. Fill out the application. We'll get in touch with you really quick, and hopefully we will see you in Seattle.
All right, like I said, this is building relationships with people. You're entering into relationships with folks, which makes phase three obvious. Do you like them? This is the simplest step of all, since you'll probably be working closely with this person. Just ask yourself bluntly, do I like them? If not, don't waste your time. Keep looking. This is purely subjective. We have to admit that. It is completely This is not subjective. objective. Are they a likable person? Completely subjective. And we all like different kinds of people. We do. But you got to spend eight hours a day with this person, or yep. somebody does. Do you like him is really more of a chemistry. So earlier we talked yeah. about three things we interview for, right? You said characteristically, what do we look for people? Humble, and I hungry, said, smart. Humble, hungry, smart. There are only five things we interview for. So we covered three of them in the characteristics. Wow, okay. The fourth one is fit. And, and does that mean likability? That means likability. That means, means you fit, right? We, we get along. Yeah. You see something that you could relate to in me, and I see something I could relate to in you. And we're going to be spending a lot of time together. But it's also team fit. Mm. If you're a prankster, and I've got a group of serious-minded people that never crack a joke, I'm not putting you on that team. Right. And you have to actually think about the different teams. Because yes. you've got teams of fun-loving guys, and you've got teams of people who are like, I don't have time for jokes. And yeah. if you're the, I don't have time for jokes, and you're very serious, and you're just going to get it done, and I'm about to put you in a group of pranksters that... You know, your coffee cup's not going to be safe when you leave it on the desk for 30 <laughs> seconds. That's not going to work. And I, so, I, don't, I don't think I could get a job in the serious part of your company. I'll get a lot done. done. I'd work, but, uh, but there would be uh, some yeah. jokes. Going so fit, do you like them, includes, includes the fit of the team, right? Will the team get along? Do you ever get a call after you hire somebody and a team says, hey, man, I don't have a single complaint except for our morale is just down and our culture just doesn't feel the same as it did before? Because you guys hired this person, is there a way we can get them moved? Or have you ever, have you ever gotten happened. that call? Nope. Never has happened. It hasn't happened. You screen that well. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Here it has not happened. I've had it happen in other areas, in other companies, and mm -hmm. I've been like, okay, why? Did we miss it? Did they miss it? How do we prevent this from happening again? It's important because, you know, we had an experience a long, long time ago where we brought somebody on who was, I think, incredibly competent, wonderful human being didn't share our sense of humor, which is kind of, uh, oh, actually, JJ explained it to me the other day. He said, you have to kind of be willing to do five minutes of weird sort of comedian-style joking, and then we move into something. And this person just couldn't understand what we were doing yeah. because they were normal. Let's just be honest. <laughs> <laughs> they were better human beings yeah. than we were. <laughs> but we found that while they were with us, the joking completely stopped. Right. Because yeah. they walk in the room and it kind of... And it just doesn't work. Right. And the morale, I think, went down. The mood was always heavy. And I literally worried I'm going to lose some of my great team members because there's no levity when they walk in the office anymore. It matters. It does. Whereas if we weren't jokesters, if we weren't playful, I shouldn't say jokesters, if we weren't playful, that would have been fine. And you see how that... You just answered the question three. Do you like them? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's true. All right, number four, do they light up? I'm imagining this means uh, that when they think about their job, think about, are they excited to be here? Yes, it hits the fifth thing, right? skill. So the way I always explain skill to people is we'd never hire a bus driver to fly Dave's plane. Right. right? And people always laugh and they mm -hmm. go, well, duh. But the same is true for every level. We'd never hire somebody to do Ruby on Rails development coding mm -hmm. that has never done it. Right. We would be setting them up to fail, not setting them up to succeed. And that's important, I think, for a lot of people listening because, you know, if I try to hire a sales rep who's never done enterprise-wide train-the-trainer sales, which is much more long-tail relational dealing with bureaucracies, 
I think, well, this person is great at selling lawnmowers. They can sell anything, and they're just going to bomb. A lot of small businesses make that mistake. Yes. How important it is for them to have done exactly what you want them to do at Ramsey? Is that? It's not exactly what we do. Right, but it's a core competency? Yes. We understand that they have the ability to do it, and in some cases, we test. So we test for coding, for example. Heck, if you want to be an admin, we'll test you for Excel competency if that job requires a high degree of Excel knowledge. Right. But it doesn't have to line up perfectly. It just has to line up to a certain degree. We have sales cycles that are extremely long. We do foundations and personal finances to schools, mm -hmm. and schools only purchase books twice a year. Mm -hmm. If the person we're talking to is used to closing sales every week and feeling good about themselves, if they came into that role, they think they're a failure. Mm, yeah. They would, not us. Mm -hmm. They would feel like a failure, and they would think, this is not the right job for me. I am doing horrible. Mm. They're used to closing deals every week, and ours is a six-month sales cycle. Right. That person would fit better in a different area. If they went into Financial Peace University, for example, in our church division and sold there, they'd feel great. And you note that difference, because I've even heard uh, Ramsey executives say, you know, they see two kinds of salespeople, the sort of hunter-gatherer who goes out and kills the animal and brings it back, and then the relational long-tail salesperson Absolutely. who's really great at taking people to lunch and acting as a consultant, yeah. really, is what they are. <laughs> and they're building a long-term relationship. They're not expecting to close the deal today. Okay, how much due diligence do you do? You mentioned something earlier. You said we will test them for competency in Excel if we do that. At this point... Because, you know, a lot of small business leaders, they would read the resume and say, oh, good, they're good at Excel, and they would never actually test them. Do you do that? Do you we do. do. You do yeah. that due diligence. Uh, if you were a bus driver and you were going to come in to be a pilot, we'd want you to prove it. <laughs> yeah. We wouldn't want to prove it on the air. We'd want you to prove it before we got in the plane right. with you. Yeah. If you're coming in to take a role that requires a high degree of Excel knowledge, if mm -hmm. you're going to be working in pivot tables, if you're going to be working with large data, we will send you an Excel test that mimics the job we want you to do and see if you could do it. Yeah. How well could you do it? And then if they can't do it, that's just not a... Well, one, it's an integrity issue because they told you they could. Yes, but a lot of times what they... If I tell you I'm a 9 on Excel on a scale of 1 to 10, and I've just never been exposed to other things, I didn't even right, know so Excel could do that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. If we take a test and it grades me correctly, then now I know mm -hmm. where I'm at. Okay, you asked for, and we talked about this before we started recording this interview, you asked for a personal budget, and you guys sell budgeting. I mean, that's what you sell. You sell financial stewardship and wisdom. Yes. And I actually asked you, how many do you think actually had a budget before you asked for it, or did they go home and create it? And how honest are they and all that kind of stuff. But first, I want to ask, because one of the things that we've had at StoryBrand is, you know, we sell a marketing framework that helps you clarify your message based on the elements of story. I had projected my knowledge of how to do this onto everybody, and I thought, well, let me just explain it to you, because anybody can do it. And then we discovered they can't. <laughs> right. Now we have to really train, not just train, but actually assess competency on the very thing that we sell. And you guys, that's a lesson, I think, for everybody listening, is do they represent your brand and what you sell well? Yes. Because the last thing you want is a bunch of bankrupt, debt-ridden yeah. <laughs> Ramsey employees. So Ramsey employees can't be that? <laughs> um, you asked for the personal budget. This, is, to me, is a fun conversation. Like, what is, how does that go? So you hit on two things. Okay. One is, do they have one? Yeah, right. period. So do they have a, a budget, period, end of story? You're having to guess here, but how many people do you think are being honest? Being honest with having a budget? Yeah. 
I would say we probably create their first budget, or at least for, for that month or that period of time, about 15, 20%. Okay. It's a wild guess. I don't know yeah, if yeah. I'm accurate. But for a lot of people, they kind of semi-budget, right? They think they know what they're spending, but they don't until they, we say we need budget, and now they're putting it on paper and going, is that really how much I spend on food? Right, yeah, yeah. You know, and so there's, there's some of those things that happen. The second piece is that you touched on is the audio has to match the video. Hmm, that's a great way to say it. That's a Rick Perry saying, by the okay. way. But if you are working for Dave Ramsey and you show up at a restaurant with a bunch of our team members and you drop an Amex card, right? that's not going to go well. Yeah. That conversation's not going to go well. And not by us, by the way. It'll just be peer pressure and teasing and uh-huh. uh, all kinds of bullying, right? Right. It just, it'll be funny. Yeah. The same is true if you work for Ramsey Solutions and you show up to lease a car. Hmm. How many times does Dave get on the radio and talk to a listener who says, but I should lease a car because this is the best deal ever. And when he does the math with them, it's the most expensive way to drive a car. Right. And if our team can't get that, how can we then explain it to other people? I would imagine there's two things here. One, you're protecting the brand integrity. And two, you know, I'm a big fan of what Dave talks about. I have always been and, uh, have essentially no debt. We financed uh, our house, but that's basically it. The peace of mind that you get is unbelievable. And I would imagine you're not just protecting your brand integrity, you're actually protecting the peace of mind of your employees. It's a culture. It's a culture of people who are doing things smartly. When you show up to work, not because you need the paycheck, but because you choose to show up to work, Mm -hmm. and mind you, you don't have to be independently wealthy, But the fact that you're not living paycheck to paycheck, the fact that you have an emergency fund, it causes you to show up to work differently. Mm -hmm. People aren't bringing as many of their problems to the office because those problems just never happened. Right. All right, this is really fun. And I learned this from the Entree Leadership book, which, by the way, if you run a small business, you need to grab that book. The spousal interview. I would have never thought of this. But I can't remember how Dave, he has sort of an elbowy way of saying it, but never hire the spouse of a crazy person or something like that. I can't remember. What does he say? So it helps you weed out crazy. If not them, then their spouse. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. And you see a lot Mm -hmm. when you interview. And uh, the only disappointing thing about this is that we've interviewed all kinds of spouses and I've just never seen crazy. They've all been great people, but we're still looking for the day, right? Hey, that's great. (laughs) It's a great thing. This is the final step, by the way. That is the final step. So, and who's doing that on your team? Because a lot, that's 24 dinners. Because Dave said take him to dinner or something, but I guess you don't have to do yeah. that. We do uh, coffee, we do dinner, we do lunch. It depends on the candidate, yeah. what's convenient for them, right? Yeah. Uh, what are you asking the spouse? We're really not asking the spouse much. It gives the spouse an opportunity to ask us questions. Oh, okay. That's so, good. Donald, I don't know if this happens to you. It happens to me all the time. Hmm. I don't know if Betsy's this way, but you come home from anywhere and she goes, Did you ask him this? Did you ask him that? And you go, No, yeah, I did yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now you're on the hook, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. With us, you're never on the hook because if they say, Did you ask him this, that, or the other? You could say, No, but those are great questions for you to ask them in the spousal. Do you talk to the spouse about salaries? Are you open and honest? Do you say, hey, this is what we actually offered your wife or this is what we offered your husband? Or- we don't hide that conversation, but no, because there's been no offer when the spouse oh, gotcha. is taking place. Gotcha. But if the spouse brings it up and wants to know what the job pays or how profit sharing works or any of those things, they can ask those questions and we will answer those questions. Yeah. At that point, at that dinner, we normally will know a range. It won't be a specific number. 
Gotcha. And those things are decided on by algorithms later in the process. Correct. All those kinds of things. Okay, those are the six phases, and I'll go through them. Referrals, the 30-minute drive-by interview. Do you like them? Do they light up? Personal budget, spousal interview. Let me ask you this, Armando. I've been around Ramsey quite a bit, and we love the folks over at Entree Leadership. People there are happy. I mean, I imagine you have some unhappy people who are gone. You know, they chose Mm -hmm. to leave or you got rid of them. I think they're really happy. Is this 90% of that, or are there other things that you're doing after they come on board that make them happy? It's a combination of everything, but it starts with a raw product, right? You Mm -hmm. can't end up with a good end product if you don't have a good starting product. So yes, it starts with hiring good people. It starts with hiring people that are normally happy. They have a positive outlook. They want to be a part of the organization, the mission, the crusade. So they're already happy to be selected in. And if that's all we did... It would last for three months, six months, and then it would taper off yeah, or go away altogether. Mm-hmm. So then it continues with the organizational culture, right? It continues with us living our promise. We don't just have an external promise to the customer. We have an internal promise to the team members coming in yeah. that we will care about them, that we will listen to them, that we will take care of them, that we're a best place to work. Mm-hmm. All of those things come into play. Their leader makes a ton of difference. If you're working for a lousy leader, it doesn't matter how good the CEO is. If you never interact with the CEO daily, you're working with that leader and, yeah, they're, and yeah. they're miserable. Yeah. So we have great leaders. We develop our leaders. We continue to talk to the team members and we care about doing the right thing. I think the world is getting better in a lot of ways. You know, there's a lot happening with gender equality, gender pay equality, all that kind of stuff. I'm noticing when I go over to Ramsey, you've got Christy Wright with Business Boutique. I speak at Business Boutique. You've got thousands of pretty much only women in the audience who's starting companies. I'm noticing more and more of your management team, more and more of your leaders. Just talk to Sarah, who now runs Entree Leadership. She's got a baby at home. She loves her job. She's doing great. You guys have worked with her and all that kind of stuff and promoted her. How important is it at Ramsey that you guys kind of lead in this area of gender equality, and how do you approach that? It's huge, but the one thing I want to make clear is that we don't promote people because they're male or female. We promote people because they deserve to be promoted. A lot of people would argue, though, and some people listening would say, yeah, but there is a gender bias in the world with bad companies, and maybe some work needs to be done to not have that bias. You know, yep. Do you understand what I'm I saying? Agree. And you're correct, but... If I can take you out of context, the words you used is exactly why we don't have that problem, and that is bad companies. Yeah. There are a lot of bad companies out there that would look at that and would say, unless you're part of the boys club or unless you're in these meetings, which are only, there's only men there, unless you go hang out smoking a cigar or doing this over here, you're not going to get promoted. We really look at who's producing. It doesn't matter their race, their gender, how long they've been with a company. None of those things are really important. It's who's actually producing, and then who has the capacity? Who has the capacity to take on more? And then it looks like, from the outside perspective, that is a pretty gender-neutral decision-making process because you're promoting all over the place. And we have such a phenomenal track record of promoting women, and we have so many women in upper leadership. There had to be some sort of heart somewhere, I don't know if it was Dave or it was Christy, who said... We need more women in this country running businesses. We're going to do an exclusively female event. Like, that is a gender... I mean, as much as I hear you, I also go, well, I don't understand, because you're actually saying, 
we're going to get some of these women and we're going to empower them. Yes. That was a decision that Ramsey made. That was a decision. And it was a collective decision between Dave and Christy. Christy already has a passion for it. She is the daughter of a single mom that ran her own business. Mm. I mean, talk about a passion, right? Yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. growing up with this passion of wanting to help those individuals to do better. Right. Now, it just so happens that it is business boutique, and it is very gender-specific. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. And Dave could have killed it and just said, no, you know what? That's not what we want to do. Mm -hmm. But he sees the power in doing that as well, and he sees the results in Christy. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, that is a phenomenal way to give back. We exist to provide hope. Yeah. What a better avenue than to provide hope to a mom that's struggling at home but has this little hobby that could take off and be a business, that could provide a living for her, for their family. Yeah. These are not all single moms. These are married individuals that... No, I, I speak at Business Boutique you know, fairly often, and I'm in their circuit right now, I guess. And these aren't just tiny businesses. There's some multi-million dollar <laughs> organizations showing up at this thing. Absolutely. And they're run by women. They're run. And, I don't want to be biased, but it's the most fun audience that I speak to. It's like driving uh, a Ferrari. They'll you mean laugh it's not Entree? Entree's <laughs> <laughs> great. But these women, you get them away from their husbands and kids, and it is a wild party. It's really fun. Uh, and their success is amazing. Yeah, really is. Yeah. You put a lot of money into rewarding people and creating community. You guys do uh, Battle of the Bands, which people are crazy about. <laughs> they are. It sounds funny, but in Nashville, there's a lot of musical talent. I mean, you have no idea. And I would imagine it's insane. You do a Christmas party. You rent out the Music City Center, our giant convention center. And you have a lot of fun. How important is that? It's huge. Those are ways that we show that we care for our team. Yeah. Those are ways where we allow team members to actually showcase their talents in whatever way that it's possible. When we bring in, not just the Battle of the Bands, which I'll put up against most Nashville bands, by the way. Uh, <laughs> well, that's but, what I've heard. I've heard yeah, it's insane. It is amazing. Yeah. But we also do a lip sync battle for people who can't sing or <laughs> and you play do a, an you instrument. you do a spelling bee? It is a competitive spelling bee. I've and heard it is, it's also very, very dangerous. It's a very dangerous It's a contact sport, yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, we can find fun in anything. Mm -hmm. And we have a group of people. We, have a, we call them win teams, what's important now, that help us put all these things together yeah. and are in touch with what would be fun for our team, right? Yeah. Having the fun activity just to have it is not going to create a great culture. But having a great culture and then doing those fun things is going to propel it forward. Yeah. And so the combination of those things is what makes it a cool place to be and a fun place to be and why people are happy when you walk around the office. That and, you know, there was a big paradigm shift for me, not that I ever had a bad attitude about this, but before the company got too big, right before it got too big, I recognize it's going to get too big. We flew everybody to Portland, Oregon for months and bought Airbnbs and just said, you know what, we're getting out of the Nashville heat. We're going to ride bicycles. We're going to work in coffee shops. And that was a pretty huge expense, as you can imagine. Oh, yeah. But there were two reasons I made that decision. One is I was convinced this team could actually get the work done anyway. And two, I wanted to have fun with them. I didn't feel like I was actually providing fun for them as a way to boost morale. I just liked these people. And if Betsy and I were going to go do this, we weren't going to do it alone. We were going right. to do it with our team. And we just had a blast. And I think that's another reason to create these kinds of cultures is you've got a family that you're loving and caring for. And if you're the leader, you've got another family. And why not have a great family? Because what you're really buying with your business is quality of life. So if you hire the right people, create the right community, and do the right things, it's all going to be for the better. Yeah. Well, we're learning from you guys every day. We're just 
following behind you eating the crumbs that fall from the yeah. table. Amanda. Hey, we enjoy hanging out with you. Well, I'm grateful. And we learn every time you're there for entree, so that's <laughs> a good thing. All right, JJ, hiring. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> it's already impacted us, and I can't wait to continue getting better at that. Yeah, I mean, we have such a familial kind of thing at StoryBrand mm-hmm. that, to me, it's like, who are we bringing on to the family? Yeah. You know, it's just that big of a deal. And they can make you a lot of money financially, or they can cost you a lot of money, and certainly they can keep you up at night if you hire the wrong person. So, Armando, thank you so much for your wisdom. Next week, we've got a business of episode. Occasionally on the Building a Story Brand podcast, we just kind of explore and do a deep dive into the business of something. Yeah. And next week, JJ, it's the business of art. Yes. We're actually talking to painters. I know. It's so cool. And patrons, yeah. people who buy art, people who sell art, people who make art. It's fascinating. And we've got a few interviews. Allison does an interview. I do an interview. And one of the people I wanted to do an interview, as soon as I heard we were doing this topic, I thought of my friend Lisa Shirk. And Lisa Shirk, I inherited Lisa through my wife. They were best friends before I met her. She's a wonderful, extremely talented artist. But when I called her, she had just left a nunnery. She was the artist in residence at a nunnery, <laughs> like a amazing. Shakespearean nunnery. Uh. She went and lived with a bunch of nuns and created art and is now selling that art. Now, you know, she's an established artist, yeah. but I just thought, okay, I got to talk to Lisa. And so she tells us about life you know, at the nunnery and how she sells art, how she makes money. She's not exactly a starving artist. I mean, she's doing pretty okay. Yeah. The episode is called The Business of Art. Here's a little bit of my conversation with Lisa Shirk. I mean, I love hearing stories about why someone would want to buy one of my paintings or I would paint something specifically to help give a visual representation of either a story or a place that, you know, a couple has experienced or a family. Um, So that is a big part of why I like to do this is not just I want to express myself. I could care less what other people think. I am doing it as a part of a way to engage in my community um, and contribute to the aesthetic of their house and contribute to the conversations that happen around that painting. So it's definitely a bigger picture for me. So there you go. We got that to look forward to. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Now I got to protect my team from leaving and becoming artists. (laughs) First guides, then artists. Everywhere I look, people are trying to poach the story brand team. People are trying to leave me. You can't leave me. It's Hotel California here. All right, so be sure to tune in again next week to hear the entire conversation. If you haven't bought my book, Building a Story Brand, yet, and you want to understand the framework, you want to understand how you clarify your message, you want people to finally pay attention to you, get the book. Building a Story Brand is available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or wherever you buy books. Also, go to 5MinuteMarketingMakeover.com. I've got three great videos that are going to give you incredibly practical tips on marketing changes that you can make to your collateral that will get you a better return right now. Go to 5MinuteMarketingMakeover.com. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's new record, Dive Deep, on Spotify or iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. <laughs>